0: Hey, everybody, this is your host, Matt Castellini, and welcome to Chicago Capital. Okay, I'm so excited for today's episode. Lance Dietz has such an incredible background and perspective on venture capital and the Chicago tech ecosystem. Lance grew up outside of Chicago and attended West Point for his undergrad where he played Division One basketball. After graduating from West Point, Lance served in the U.S. Army as an engineer officer for five years, including a deployment to Afghanistan. Following his service in the Army, Lance went to business school and got his MBA from Booth, which propelled him to investment banking at J.P. Morgan for three years. He spent time in the M&A group working with companies in building products, packaging, and the distribution sector. Finally, in 2018, Lance joined KB Partners, where he has been leading due diligence and sourcing for early-stage startups in the sports tech space. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Lance. Lance Dietz, welcome to Chicago Capital. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm very excited for today's episode. Yeah, Matt, same here. Thanks for having me. Today is actually an interesting day for us to be recording. Um, it's kind of what I consider to be the one-year anniversary of the last day Chicago was open before COVID nineteen shut everything down. I remember because it was St Patrick's Day a year ago, and everyone was out, everyone was having a blast. And the next day, it was a completely different world. So, just curious, you know how's how's the last year been for you?
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy to think that it's been a year. I can remember everybody out on St Patty's Day. And then a lot of people also being like, I can't believe everybody's out on St. Patty's Day, right? <laughs> yeah. Wild year, thankfully. You know, fortunate to be able to work from home. Family's healthy. So yeah, I mean, looking forward to hopefully things changing in the near future. Yeah. But it is, I mean, it's nuts that it's been a year, man.
0: I know. I think also like looking forward and looking back, and this, this relates to the work you do and sort of your background, but I, I feel like it's... The last year has really unearthed how important sports are, I think, to us as a society and to us just all, you know, mental health wise. Lori tweeted earlier this week that we're going to have in-person baseball games in in the summer and the spring and like people will be back in Wrigley Field. And it's crazy. I think that that is such a sigh of relief for so many people. I think we as a society this year just really you know, we're able to refocus and realize how important sports truly are, which I think has been cool. And I'm curious if that's something that you've kind of felt in the last year as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, it starts to get into our thesis as well with this concept that sports and things adjacent to sports is like a part of the social fabric. It's a part of who we are as a culture and extends to all parts of life in a lot of ways, which we'll, we'll like get into our verticals. But that's definitely a big, a big part of our thesis. So can't agree more.
0: I'd love if we could kick things off. I'd love it if you could walk through your background, your path to venture capital, and some of the major steps that you took to get there.
1: Yeah. No, that sounds great. I'll start from the beginning. So I grew up in central Illinois in the Peoria area, a town called Morton, played sports my whole life. Basketball was my first love, like the joke I tell. Is that, you know, I prayed every night that I would be a 6'5 point guard. I did not get there. I got to 5'11". I'm definitely six-one on most rosters though. But that that was Question. my first.
0: Yeah. Sorry. What are you on your license?
1: Oh, I think I'm like, I think I'm like five, 5'11 or 5'10". Um, okay.
0: Okay. All right. I'm 5'11 on my license and I'm a firm 5'10".
1: Yeah. 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 No, it's, I mean, it's so funny. Like I, uh, I mean, we're raising fun too now and, and, and it's definitely a part of my pitch. Like just because like basketball was such a meaningful part of my life growing up in central Illinois, growing up in Peoria. I mean, it's, it is the, or for a long time is in my mind and a lot of people's minds, like the Mecca of, of like Illinois basketball, like the people that have come out of there, especially like, you know, point guards. So if you think about Frank Williams, who went to U of I think about Sean Livingston, who had an incredible career in the NBA. And retired recently. Howard Nathan, the March Madness for the past 30 years, I think has been played down there. I think it just moved to Bloomington, maybe, or to Champaign. But anyway, it was an amazing place. Grew up playing sports my whole life. Like I said, basketball primarily. Ended up going to West Point, the Military Academy in New York. Got recruited and played basketball there for a few years before I got hurt. It was an amazing experience. Had the chance to meet Coach K. And Bobby Knight, I don't know how many people know, but Bobby Knight coached there. He coached Coach K and like Coach K played. And then he coached there prior to going to Duke. And I had growing up as a basketball player, been a huge Duke fan for right or wrong. I mean, you either love them or you hate them, but they had fantastic point guards. So I looked to them as like who I wanted to play like. So it was really incredible to meet Coach K. West Point was a wild experience. I mean, the joke is that the best view of West Point is in your rear view mirror after graduation when you're driving away from it. But I, I, I really can't be more thankful for it. I studied economics there and a bit of computer science. And when I graduated, which is typical, I served in the army for five plus years. So I was an engineer officer stationed in Germany, Afghanistan, and also the States, leading teams of three to 30 across combat and non-combat missions. Again, incredible incredible experience. Fortunate for what um, I was able to do there and for the people that I worked with. Definitely shaped who I am today. But during that time, married a high school sweetheart of mine. And we decided after my five years to kind of get back closer to family. So moved to Chicago. We still have family in central Illinois. We have family in the Chicago area. And kind of like as a way to transition, which is not too uncommon now, is to go to grad school you know, so you have a lot of career switchers, especially military, doing grad school as a way to like, you know, transition from the army or the navy and so on. And Booth, I mean, credit to Booth. Booth has done an incredible job of building up that pipeline. You have guys like like Eric Gleacher, who, I mean his namesake is on one of the buildings, was a military veteran, and just they just done an awesome job. Hats off to them for how they've built up the pipeline of veterans, the support. So I had the chance to go to Booth, which was again an incredible experience ended up decided to go the investment banking route again like this is not too atypical for people you know switching from a very different career either going consulting or banking and so i did the banking route ended up going to jp morgan here in chicago spent just just under three years there in the industrials group doing everything from M&A to capital raising but you know, for a long time since I can remember, have always been a bit interested in investing in general. Had a lot of friends from high school going to investing, friends from booth going to private equity. so I had started to poke my head around that. Really thought to be honest, I'd go you know to middle market lBO or traditional buyout, private equity, just given how, Amazing Chicago is for that. But to be honest, I came across this opportunity with KB Partners, and timing was fantastic. And I met the founder and, you know, decided to take a big leap of faith and join him as he was starting a new fund, which we can get into. And so that's how I got to venture.
0: That's such a great story, and thanks so much for that that walkthrough. I think there's so many parts we could possibly unpack, but you know, one question that I'd love to ask thus far in your career, what were the lessons and learnings from that experience in the military that have really guided you in your career pursuits or that have stuck with you to this day? And you know, that question could apply specifically to working with early stage startups or just to your career in general.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I do think there are some really some incredible lessons from the military that apply to, you know, specifically venture, but just in general. I mean, a few, I think, I think a lot of people think that the military is really about giving orders and doing something. And to be frank, especially in this day and age, like it is really about building relationships with people. Um, Sure, like you can give an order, but if there is not a sense of respect and a sense of competence, that only goes so far. And so I think I learned quickly that the importance of building camaraderie and a relationship with people and rapport Is super important. And you know, this having spent some time in venture as well, like that is the basis and the foundation for working with founders, working with startups, and how quickly you can do that. So, that's been a big piece of learnings from the military that I brought forward. I mean, I think another thing is, is in the military, a lot of times you're expected to do a lot with limited resources, which again, That concept is very common in startups. And so in some way, like, I feel like I can relate to founders just given that same experience. Again, very different industry, of course, but the same idea. And then lastly, I think in the military, it it is about building a team, you know, leadership, management, organizational behavior, like that. that is very important And, and building cohesiveness. And I think, again, with a startup that is starting at the, you know, pre-seed or seed stage and then expecting to grow quite a bit, that is incredibly important. Like who you hire, the team you build, the culture that you build. So I think I can relate to their that experience as well.
0: Do you think your time spent as a leader in the military allows you to maybe assess the leadership qualities in startup founders in, a, in at least in some way? Has that sort of experience given you a, a newfound perspective on leadership?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I think, I don't know about like my ability to like assess well. I think, sure, like, I think I can appreciate like the experience that a founder is going through and maybe understand how challenging that is. And sure, there are definitely some aspects of managing a team. That I believe in as it relates to, you know, transparency and authenticity and stuff like that, that I think is important that I personally look for in terms of who I want to work with. So at the stages that we're investing, I think that is what you're looking for is like, can this person from a leadership perspective, from a team perspective, from a management perspective get to the next milestone? And so I think, I think I can one relate to that. I think I can appreciate it. And I think there are definitely things that I can be helpful with as they think about that, just given the nature of the experience in the military for sure.
0: Yeah. And okay, this is completely off schedule, but your experiences with meeting coach K and Bobby Knight, I mean, two West Point grads and two people that obviously link a lot of their leadership qualities to their time in the military. What was it about them aside from their success that you were so that you look up to so much in those two individuals?
1: Yeah. There's one thing that comes to mind like very quickly, which is a bit surprising. So I only spent a day with him. So I, you know, so I don't have a ton of exposure, but coach K in a lot of ways, at least publicly is like very different than a Bobby Knight. And I think what I appreciate about coach K is it seems that he like has very high expectations, of course, but coaches and mentors in a way that is also most of the time like calm and like speaking to you, like almost as a peer. Now, granted, of course, there have been times where he has been furious, but I think like this concept of like him partnering with his players or his other coaches and enabling them to be successful through advice and insight and coaching, I think is really incredible. I mean, and some of that is from the military, like staying like calm under pressure and stuff like that, I think is really important and probably stems from his experience in the military and being around that. And, you know, he he still wears his West Point ring. Now, granted, I believe it has... Duke blue stone in, in like the center. And he equates a lot of his principles and values and and how he does stuff back to West Point and back to the military, which makes a lot of sense to me.
0: That's amazing to me that you were able to meet him. He's an absolute hero of mine. And I think there are lessons to be learned from someone like a Coach Gay. And for me, another sports figure who I draw a lot of motivation from is like a Billy Bean. But Coach K, to me, why I think he's the greatest and one of the greatest leaders ever is his ability to adapt and to find new ways to win over decades. He, he's constantly reinventing himself. He's constantly changing his mold as a coach and, and able to relate to sort of the new generation. And so like, to me, that's why he's the greatest ever. But this is a, a complete tangent that a rabbit hole we could probably go down yeah. for, for a long while here. So I'm going to try and steer us back to KB Partners. I'd love it if you could talk about the thesis behind KB Partners and you know what stage of investment you guys look at as a sports tech early stage fund.
1: Yeah, sure. And one quick piece on Duke, like I I feel for them this year. Oh my gosh. What a, I mean of all of all these great things we're saying about, I mean just I what a rough year. But anyway, so KB Partners, so we're investing out of our first fund which we started fundraising for in 2018. It's a 41 million dollar fund based here in Chicago focused on what we call the intersection of sports and technology and We break that down into probably five verticals underneath this sports tech umbrella. The first is what we call human performance. So broadly across digital health, wellness, and fitness. The second is next-gen media as it relates to sports and adjacent sports markets. So everything from streaming technologies to the application of AR and VR to immersive media and content. The, The third would be things that enhance the live experience also referred to as venue technology and stuff around that. So new forms of ticketing, crowd analytics, venue optimization, fan engagement, ways to engage the fans at home, and so on. The fourth would be sports betting and things around sports betting. So platforms, data and odds, risk and compliance, things around that. And then the last is what we call esports and gaming, which you could build a fund around probably each one of these verticals. I think why we've selected these and have... Gone deep in them is just because we think there are some really interesting intersections across them. Traditional sports in gaming and esports is now becoming almost synonymous. Like there's a ton of overlap. You have teams involved, you have leagues involved, you have players starting up their own esports teams. So it's really incredible. And, and you also see things happening in sports or across these other verticals that lend themselves to human performance, for example, and that then bleeding into health, wellness, and even sometimes healthcare. So we think that there is one, these verticals are on their own, really attractive and being able to put them under one umbrella, leverage insights across them, leverage the network across them makes it an even more compelling thesis. So that's where we're spending a lot of time. Stage wise, I would say fund one was probably focused primarily on seed and seed plus and opportunistic at pre-seed in series A. So for us, that sort of meant You know, post product launch, but maybe very early on in terms of traction, and prior to getting kind of that two, three million in ARR range, where you go out and raise a large A. So that was probably the sweet spot, writing checks of 500K up to two million, somewhere in there, but pretty flexible as well. We generally like to lead or co-lead, especially if it lands within one of those verticals where we can be helpful, but have not done that and have also just participated we've done one deal outside the us as we started to dip our toe going abroad but generally we've stayed here in the states or north america and then the last thing i'd say is across those verticals we've built an incredible advisory board that are people that have serious expertise in each one of those sectors are willing to open up their network and be helpful and are really interested in what we're doing as well. So that includes everyone from the former CEO of Topgolf to the president and chairman of Athletico to the GM of the 76ers, um, Duke Grett, to the CEO of Callaway Golf to operators here in Chicago as well. So that's kind of what we bring to bear too when it comes to like figuring out how we can make the KB Partners team go beyond just kind of the investment group of, of four individuals. So I'll stop there, but that's um, that's generally like our thesis.
0: Is that advisory board? Is that one of the main ways that post investment KB is able to plug in and help your portfolio companies? I mean, this just incredible litany of you know operators with deep domain expertise. Is that one of the value adds you think KB is able to provide to startups after investment?
1: Yeah, I think you know take that a bit broader. I mean, the short answer is yes. I think generally, like any other fund, like we, especially if we're leading or we're co-leading, we definitely find ourselves getting involved in kind of the general pieces of value add, quote unquote, you know, post-investment. So that's everything from helping think about the next round to help with hiring and talent, help acquire customers or thinking through that as well as strategy and planning in general. But I think to your point, a lot of these startups that we're looking at at this stage, really value people that have expertise in the spaces that they're building a company in. And our ability to show that we've been doing this for 25 years, at least the founder has in this space, and the people that we can connect them to that have direct experience and can be immediately helpful is really valuable. So that's one thing. I mean, we lean a lot of times on the advisors for help with diligence, help with sourcing, but immediately a lot of times that turns into them getting involved with the company. One example is in the sports betting space, we've gotten to know Sarah Slane, who has spent a lot of time in the sports betting world on the regulatory and you know compliance side of things, has now has her own advisory. She's an advisor to our fund. And... We worked with her when we were looking at an opportunity in the licensing and compliance for sports betting space. And now she's officially a part of the board of advisors at that company. She's an independent board member and someone that a great example of us being able to lean on her for as we're thinking about an opportunity. But for her to like plug in and get involved with a with company and the portfolio and be helpful there.
0: I am curious about these startups, these founders, you know, a lot of the times they're pitching, they're selling into these really large sports organizations. And a comparison that I wonder if it holds true, selling into large corporations can sometimes involve a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of red tape, and it can just be sometimes a challenging customer acquisition path. Generally speaking, you know, what is it like for these startups to sell into these large sports organizations?
1: I think your inclination is right, especially if you're selling into sports teams. Historically, sports teams don't like to pay a lot for new technology or new products and services. Generally, they feel like they're doing you you a favor, I think. But I think you're seeing that change. With COVID and the pandemic, it's brought forth the importance of like really stepping on the gas when it comes to bringing forward plans to have a more digital experience or more involved technology platform across what they're doing. So it's definitely challenging. We tend to look for startups that have a unique way of doing that already and that's either through a really strong background in the space or incredible connections that allow them to get to that first call and can leverage that throughout i think i think the interesting thing about getting sports teams as customers though is especially for some of the well-known ones like it serves as a fantastic case study for when when these startups want to go broader or go to adjacent markets and you can say, Hey, I have the NFL or I have NFL teams or NBA teams, like using the product. I think that's one, it's a known quantity. Like most people have heard of teams and leaks. And so it's a fantastic case study. So it's definitely a challenge, of course, like any sort of B2B sales or like, you know, enterprise sales experience, there are some nuances to it that we look for to see what sort of advantage they have in doing that. But then we also see that it can be helpful for them as they push to other markets as well.
0: Yeah, and this is just maybe a basic question, but I'm genuinely curious. Do sports organizations ever operate similar to a corporate venture arm where they make investments themselves? So they're not just a customer, a potential customer, but they could be you know, on the cap table for these startups potentially. How does that work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're seeing something of that fashion happening more and more. Maybe not necessarily the team itself, but the ownership group right? So HBSC, which owns the Sixers and the Devils, they also have a venture arm. And it's really incredible because they can test products and services with the team, with the players. They also have a view from just the business side of things on what to look for in these companies in general. So I think it's really attractive for a lot of startups. I mean, the Dodgers ownership group has an investment arm known as Elysian Park Ventures, who can do the same thing right? They can tap into the Dodgers. They can tap into just the relationships based on that. And you're definitely seeing it more and more. I think it's incredibly valuable to startups. And these are people that we'd love to have on the cap table as well alongside us.
0: Switching gears a bit back to the foundation of KB Partners and the overall state of the sports tech funding environment. When KB started, I think we talked in the past about it seems like there is this big gap, an opportunity where investors could deploy capital into a vertical that at the time exhibited a big funding gap. It just was not as crowded a couple of years ago. But where would you say the sports market is today in terms of maturity and in terms of crowdedness?
1: Yeah. I don't think it's crowded, but I would agree with you. I think there are more and more people now like realizing that there's meaningful opportunity here to make a substantial return. When we got started in 2018, there were a couple other firms around the table. Shout out to Courtside who's been doing it for a handful of years now and are just incredible. Now, like Sapphire Sport is a meaningful player. You know, they just invested in Buzzer, which is a really interesting company. You have others like Causeway Media Partners that include a couple team owners involved there. So I think I think it's definitely becoming more and more of a space that people realize is, has the potential for incredible returns. A lot of these firms, I think, are, are typically, though, maybe waiting until the series A, B, or later range or stage to get involved, especially like some of the more traditional agnostic funds that have to put a lot of money to work. So they wait until they can write a big check. They wait till there's a bit more meat on the bone in terms of the business and where it's maybe not seen so much as a sports or sports tech company, but now has become a consumer social experience or a B2B company. So I think there's more players around on the table. I mean, with SPACs, there's an incredible amount of SPACs going after sports now. And I think that bodes very well for like the ecosystem. I mean, I think think we're excited about that because a lot of our companies eventually will graduate to those the stages where where a lot of these people are playing, so it's a great opportunity for downstream investors.
0: Yeah, I think you know we've talked about this in the past, but it, it does feel like in many ways sports touches everything. I was lucky to be involved in the due diligence process for a company that Manifold ultimately invested in called Kenzen. So they developed a wearable that was very particular to sports, and I think they had actually an NFL and an NBA team on the cap table in the very early stages, you know, at the angel round. And ultimately, as the product began to grow, they started to iterate. And they actually realized that they pivoted to a completely different market because they realized there would be a better product market fit. They moved into the industrial construction space. And that opened my eyes to see that some of the promise of sports tech startups is that they have the potential to extend their use case and their target market beyond sports tech. Is that something that in the back of your guys' minds, you're always sort of looking at in the due diligence process of, okay, this, this product could find product market fit in this particular vertical of sports tech in one of our five you know sort of thesis areas, but there is also the potential for one
1: day this to move beyond sports. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely something that we look for. I think we've we've always been a little bit skeptical of things that are only – Meant for elite athletes. At the same time, to your point, I think it is or it can be a great place to start. You know, whoop, granted, it's an overnight success after eight to 10 years. But originally, when they started, they were more for the elite athlete, right? LeBron James, Michael Phelps, and have now become a part of a lot of people's just, this is like part of my health wellness stack, right? So I think, I think it is a great use case at times. I think we definitely look for, how does this extend beyond that? And I think your point, like industrial athletes or you know people in industrial workforces, like the same thing. I mean, I I think you see a lot of times we'll see startups too that are targeting sports and military because in some ways, like there's the same thesis there concept around elite athletes in the military as well as in sports.
0: The idea of physical exertion and how much is required in sports, there's a lot of jobs that still are physical jobs. I mean, the construction industry worldwide is a multi-trillion dollar market. So it, it was really fascinating for me to be able to get to see that up close and the field of biometrics and wearables, it does feel like you can extend those use cases and those technologies. But that actually raised a question about the due diligence process at KB, and I think this is always helpful for founders who are looking to come in and pitch. What does the due diligence process look like for you guys at KB? What's the end-to-end process? You know, what can they expect?
1: Yeah, sure. I think it, I mean the first thing I'd say is it varies a lot, but in general. You know, it's the same sort of thing, like someone will reach out either with a deck or an opportunity. We'll take a first look at that. If it kind of fits within the areas that we're focused on, stage, we'll hop on a first call. That's typically one of us on the investment team taking that first call. At times, others will join. And that's a 30 to 45 minute call where we want to better understand the founder, the team, the problem, the opportunity, and really get to know them at that point at our team meeting if if the person who took the call found it interesting they'll circulate some notes we'll talk about it at our weekly team meeting ask some questions and then from there it starts to evolve right there's always some back and forth in terms of Q&A via email Normally, we get on another call or two or three. We'll reach out to people in our network that we think could have some really great insights on the space. We'll do some more just research and discussion internally. And as we continue to build the case, if we continue to get more and more conviction, eventually that turns into a full hour to two hour call with our full team, their full team, going through the story again asking questions, letting them ask questions, kind of like working through the opportunity set. And then quickly after that, we discuss as a team internally, like, hey, do we want to push forward and how? And that leads to either a term sheet or to, hey, not a great fit right now, but would love to stay in touch or not a great fit. So I would say like that process very much depends on, you know, the founder's timeline, how the deal is moving, how long we've known the founder, how well we know what they're working with, the space that they're in, the type of product or service that they're offering. So we've gone, we've committed within a week, and there's other times, which maybe we'll talk about this one with Alchemy and Ryan Mundy, where we've got to know him over the course of a few years. And when he, you know, just started. Decided to launch his new company, we we kind of had already in our minds said we want to bet on Ryan and really believed on in, in what he was doing. So that that was sort of a no brainer, even though it was like slightly outside of our stage focus. But the short answer is it very much depends. But that's generally the process that we go through.
0: Has the process and founders timeline and you know speed to check has that. Have you felt that increase over the last couple of years since you started and maybe even in the last year? Have you felt the length of due diligence has shortened because of so much competition? And if it has, how have you dealt with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I th- I think it ebbs and flows. I mean, there's definitely times where we felt that. I mean, there's other times throughout twenty twenty where, you know, some people hit pause on making investments. I think the getting comfortable with investing in someone you've yet to meet in person is becoming more common which definitely speeds things up right because instead of having to fly out to meet someone or vice versa you do a couple of extra zoom calls and now you're ready to go so i think i think it definitely ebbs and flows i think depending on the situation you know it does feel like things are moving more quickly now you know people are definitely wanting to put more capital to work and at least for us like we've seen like quality of deal flow has been incredible. So it feels like there are definitely more and more opportunities in our space now that that we have to move on relatively quickly.
0: And I think as you guys continue to grow and continue to deploy more capital, inevitably, you'll need to be raising another fund. And so I'm curious about the fundraising process. And for you guys finding and pitching LPs, do you ever fundraise from star athlete LPs? And do you ever get starstruck? Because I can imagine fundraising is hard enough as it is. And if I was going in to pitch to a sports legend, I might have some extra nerves if it was me.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you definitely have nerves when you meet someone that you've watched for a long time or know of or admire. And that can be an athlete or someone else. We we have started raising fun too and, and have definitely been pitching a lot in Q1. And we think it is important to have you know, people in these industries involved as LPs. Like they can also be super helpful to us. They can be super helpful to the companies that we invest in. So that's definitely a part of the pool of LPs that we want to have involved. So, and I think you're seeing more and more athletes are getting involved in investing in the startup world, in founding companies. And I think it's, I think it's incredible. And and they're doing an awesome job of being like, I not only want to be a brand ambassador. I want to have equity. I want to be helpful. And so we've been fortunate enough to meet former and current athletes that want to do that. And they want to do it in a fun structure. For example, Elton Brand from the Sixers joined our advisory board and is an LP. And it's been incredible spending time with him. I guess like one thing that's just fascinating to me is like, of course, like I grew up watching Elton Brand. He's at Dookie. The other crazy thing is he grew up across from West Point in Peekskill. You know, he played for Coach K. He also played along Sean Livingston with the Clippers. Sean's from Peoria. So like I admired him from afar and have always been impressed with him. And kudos to my colleague who got connected with him. He's invested in a startup that we looked at. We started to talk to him about other opportunities we're seeing. We shared some deal flow. And then we got to know him over time and going in there, you are a bit nervous, but it's incredible how amazing these people are too. like wanting to hear more about what you're doing and asking questions and like being able to be a part of that and be helpful in a way that you never imagined is really awesome. And so we have a few others that, that have joined. I mean, I was just on the, a call yesterday with a very well-known WNBA player and again, it was just an amazing conversation hearing what she's up to asking us about things that we're doing. And like quickly you're like, man, like this is someone I would love to spend time with and work with and get to know. And if there's ways where we can be mutually helpful across kind of the professional scene, like that's awesome too. So I've, I've been like, I don't know if I should be, but I've been really surprised at how open a lot of people are, especially in sports to engage with what you're doing and and have an interest in being involved and wanting to be helpful as well, because they're busier than we are a lot of times.
0: Is there one athlete you wish you could meet and convince to invest in KB Partners? I know you've met some incredible ones thus far. I have one in mind, but I'm curious if you have any that come to mind. Star athlete, somebody you grew up watching that you would just love to get involved in or at least get the opportunity to pitch to.
1: Yeah, uh, so I don't have a great answer here. I kind of want you to go first, and maybe that'll give me some. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's got to be JJ Reddick. I mean, JJ Redick, and and uh, many reasons, but he he's got his own podcast. I've got my own podcast. I feel like I have an icebreaker now, right off the bat. But it's a funny story. I used to work at Bank of America in New York City, and I was walking out of the elevator one day. And I was listening to his podcast that he has on the ringer. I'm literally walking out of the elevator listening to the podcast, and I look up, and there's like a six foot six, just JJ Reddick standing right there. And I actually thought I had lost consciousness or had a brain (laughs) aneurysm or something. I was so, so completely confused. And I just stood there with my mouth agape and didn't say a word. And he walked right past me. And that was one moment in my life that I need to go and relive. So if I start a fund, he's the first call I have if it has any kind of sports relation.
1: No, I love that. I had a similar experience in Florida when I, I met Isaiah Thomas, an original bad boy from the Pistons, right? Watching him go up against the Bulls right? He's a Um, Chicago guy too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a similar experience where we were, we were in Florida, in Miami and went to like stop by a nicer hotel just to look at it. So my wife's an architect. So we go do that stuff. And I'm walking around. I'm like, I think, I think that's Isaiah Thomas. And I almost lose it, right? Like point guard, amazing hall of famer, grew up watching. And I'm like, Heather, I, I think that's as it. And she's like, don't be weird. Don't be weird. And I'm like, I got to like say hi to him. And so I kind of like waited for him to kind of like start to leave. And I just said, Hey, Isaiah, I just wanted to say hello. Huge fan grew up, gr- like grew up watching you a point guard myself. And again, amazing. He's like, Hey, thanks so much for saying hello. I just, it's great to meet you as well. I hope you and your wife have a great weekend. But similarly, like, incredibly starstruck, mouth hanging open and trying as much as possible not to be weird in the middle of like a hotel. Yeah. But what was also crazy is like the people that were there didn't know who he was, like just no clue or (laughs) not starstruck like I was, but it was pretty amazing. So like, you know, I don't, so this is going to have to be for a number two podcast, I guess, like I'll have to really think about who that would be. I definitely have you know, people in mind, but, but I kind of want to um, think a bit more about specifically for fund and trying to uh, convince them.
0: Next time you're on, we'll go through the list and we'll think about fundraising strategies for each of them and dive in a little bit deeper. I'd love to switch a bit before we move on to Chicago. I would love to ask you about the experience you have of being a board member. I know you're a board member on companies like, you know, a sensei and you're also a board observer on a few others. Just would love to hear your development in that role.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great question and something that we internally and me and myself ask ask a lot like how how do we want to be serving on boards and what what is the best role that we can serve as a board member. I think I think I pull a lot of things in this regard from the military a little bit like in the army as an engineer officer in charge of a platoon you're briefing senior officers quarterly on past performance, readiness of the unit. Future training plans and so on. In in a lot of ways, similar to kind of maybe how a board might report in the conventional sense. So I think that I just like keep in the back of my mind that process is is not easy managing a board and managing stakeholders and stuff like that as well. But I think for me and and it's an evolving process. I think one, it's it's a huge privilege to be a part of the board and be supporting these companies. You have a governance and a fiduciary responsibility as well, which you can't take lightly. And then the other piece of it is like navigating kind of that fine line where I I think your role too, at least mine is, is, is also being a cheerleader for the company, being someone that is encouraging them while at the same time being someone that is challenging them to think more about opportunities or refine how they're thinking about a strategy. And in my mind, that comes a lot through like Knowing the business well enough to be able to ask insightful questions that just spur thinking. Like I never want to get into the mode where, like, hey, I, you know, you should do X. Like, I don't necessarily feel like that is how I wanna be as a board member. I think I wanna be more like a- like let's think through this and work through it, the pros and cons. And you as the founder that I'm supporting and that, you know, KB is supporting, like, we're entrusting you to be the one that leads that and makes that decision. So great responsibility, great privilege, amazing experience in balancing this fine line of kind of governance as well as being supportive and encouraging.
0: That has to be being a board member has to be the ultimate apprenticeship role where you can read all the books you want and and listen to all the podcasts, but there's no way you can know how to learn to do it until you're actually doing it. So I think it's just a fascinating component of a VC's job. But I'd love to turn our attention to Chicago. How active would you say Chicago is in the grand scheme of the sports tech space? I know Indianapolis has become a hot spot. I'm sure the coastal hubs, New York are, are very active, but I'm curious where Chicago kind of stands in the sports tech scene.
1: Yeah, I think I think we have a lot of opportunity. I think we want to be like we want to make Chicago in a lot of ways, like from a venture perspective and from a startup perspective, a a great place to build a sports tech related company. I mean, as we talked about in the past, in terms of sports in general, I mean it's an amazing city. Teams across all the leagues, historically amazing players and some opportunities to really leverage that. As a younger company within the city of Chicago, so I think I think there's a lot of opportunity to do that. I think we'd love to be very involved in how that happens. But to your point, like I don't think anyone necessarily equates sports venture, sports tech venture, or, or even adjacent to that, with any one particular city, and probably not Chicago if they did. So I think given that, I think we have have a great opportunity to do that.
0: Slightly off topic, but the passion of the fan bases here for sports, how yeah. integral sports is to the city's culture. I, I'm curious about the rise of sports betting and all the innovation that's going on there. Kind of like on the on the consumer side, you know, there's so many fans here that are so active and so involved and so, you know, the Bar Store Sportsbook just opened up here for a reason. I think it's an interesting place if you're looking at consumer plays in the sports betting space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're probably right. I mean a lot of my diligence when it comes to sports Betting is like, you know, texting my friends here in Chicago (laughs) that, that, that I know are diehard sports fans and also like to get a little risk on. So, so yeah, I mean, I think you're right. With sports betting, I think nationally, it's, it's going to be incredible. But to your point, I think the fan bases in Chicago, I mean, are just amazing. Diehards, regardless of how well or poorly the teams are doing over many years. So it is a great place in that regard, for sure.
0: I think there's something about Boston and Chicago and sports betting. It is it they're of the same vein. Some of my best friends from college were uh diehard Boston fans. And it's it's funny. It's a similar culture. It's a very similar sports culture. And how they risk on is the right word for how they gamble. Yeah. To, uh, <laughs> but this has been great. I, I I am sort of just curious about any recent Chicago based investments that KB has made that you're excited about and you'd like to highlight here.
1: Yeah, sure. A couple. One, I mentioned a bit earlier in the podcast is Ryan Mundy and what he's building with Alchemy, reimagining black health, which is an amazing opportunity there. And the fact that former athlete, investor, entrepreneur, we've gotten to know him in Chicago. I mean, it's funny. I mean, he lives... A few minutes from the office up in highland park funny enough though like i th- i think i saw him more like prior to the pandemic outside of chicago at various sports related events but incredible person excited to back him alongside m25 in that round another one which i think you'll start to hear more and more of this year next is StreamLayer, based here in chicago reimagining kind of the viewing experience with an overlay operating system for any live stream that makes it really incredibly more interactive which is a trend that we 100% believe in in terms of engaging these new types of fans. So those are two here in Chicago, and and we're looking to do more and will do more here in the city of Chicago as well.
0: That's awesome, those are both really interesting companies. I highly recommend people check them out and follow their story. I wanted to ask a few last last questions, Lance. You know, any Chicago eateries that you would recommend favorite restaurants? I lived in New York for a couple of years right before the pandemic. I have my favorite Chicago restaurants, but you know, I'm not as acclimated with the Chicago restaurant scene as I would like to be, so I'm always trying to figure out what are what are some recommendations for my guests?
1: Yeah, sure. So I'll give. One that flies under the radar and then another one in the pizza space. So the first is called Cedar Palace. So it's here in Lincoln Park, Lebanese restaurant, family owned. It is amazing. It is, I think we had it once or twice. I mean, we have it like once or twice a week. So my wife is Lebanese. And so we, in high school, I mean, her her grandfather would make stuffed grape, like homemade stuffed grape leaves. So we had yet to find a great place. This is a five-minute walk from us. So it is a staple of our dinner regimen. The second one, which I'll probably get in trouble for, is a pizza place here in Chicago. So you have to have a pizza place on your list if you're in Chicago, but it's not a deep dish Chicago style pizza. Instead, it's a Detroit style pizza. It is a world champion pizza. It is amazing. I think it might be my favorite pizza in Chicago at this point. So those are two amazing places that you have to try.
0: That's complete heresy. That is a Brooklyn-based I know, I know. pizzeria. That is Des- Detroit-style pizza at that Brooklyn-based
1: pizzeria. <laughs> I know. It's bad.
0: <laughs> I, You know what? It's I, a you, bad you thing have- for
1: a Chicagoan to say.
0: You have company. My favorite place is Pizzeria Babu in uh, Lincoln Park. Yeah, I I think it's the best pizza. So I'm with you on uh, maybe not being the biggest or, you know, the number one fan of a deep dish pizza. You know, Lance, before I let you go, I'd love any resources that you follow any great leaders in the sports tech space, newsletters, podcasts, you know, if somebody wants to dive deeper on the sports tech space after this podcast, uh, where can they go? What do you follow?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one you have to follow is the Sports Innovation Lab with Angela Ruggiero and Josh Walker. They put out some incredible stuff around sports and sports tech and sports innovation in the health, wellness and fitness space, Fit Insider with Anthony and Joe Venari, Incredible forefront and kind of leading thinkers on the space broadly across sports is is front office sports and Sportico, which I think, you know, puts out some great stuff. So those are definitely staples.
0: Awesome. Lance, thank you so much. If people want to follow you and you know follow KB partners, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, Twitter's a good place. And then email Lance at KBPartners.com. Feel free.
0: Lance, thank you very much for coming on Chicago Capital. Can't wait to have you on again.
1: Likewise, Matt. Thanks so much. If you are a founder seeking
0: venture capital investment at the pre seed through series A stage, check out manifold group we're a venture holding company based in chicago with offices in dallas los angeles and soon atlantic canada we believe early stage private investments represent an excellent investment opportunity but existing investment models in the space leave much to be desired manifold is a new model for growth in the new economy designed to create and capture value at the early stage through synergies across its venture fund incubation and acceleration studio and advisory firm Learn more about Manifold at www.manifold.group and please tune in for the next Chicago Capital episode.